0: Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, I know some of you were impacted by that pretty intense storm we had this past Friday. So I uh, hope you all are safe and recovering if you were impacted. If you remember uh, last month, we tried an experiment with the panel and getting to hear from a couple of Vox members reflecting on Psalm 23 together. And today we're doing uh, something similar, another panel just to hear from a few other members and we'll be sharing about something that uh, we've been processing together as a a small group over the last few months. Uh, Last fall, I got an email from Carrie Graham, who some of you might know. Uh, She had been a pastor with Mosaic, another church community that we used to share our building with when we were at Space 12. And a few years ago, she started something called The Church Lab. And this past year, they partnered with Texas Impact a faith-based advocacy group to help churches navigate the impacts of the pandemic. And so she presented Vox with an opportunity to form a small cohort and spend about three months with a facilitator to help us reimagine what service looks like in the context of all the challenges and difficulties this pandemic has brought. And so I was really grateful for this opportunity that was given to us Uh, And I was even more grateful for our Vox members who were willing to participate. And so the cohort included myself, Christina Cotham, Kimberly Culbertson, uh, Lena Pesak, Lena Martinez-Wolfinger, and Madison Russell. And they all sacrificed their Sunday afternoon every week for the past three months uh, to be part of this process. So I'm really, really grateful for them and for the time that we had together. And one of the scripture texts that our cohort reflected on together uh, was from Jeremiah 29. And this was written when Israel had been conquered by the Babylonian Empire, and many of them were taken away from their homeland as captives and brought to Babylon to live and serve the empire. And so they were forced into a completely new country, new culture, new language. And they had to reimagine a new way of life. And for all of us collectively, you know, this past year has forced us into a new way of life. We've had to reimagine how to do work and school. We've had to reimagine how to maintain friendships and connections. We've had to reimagine how to practice self-care. And we've even had to reimagine how to support and care for and serve others. And So the question I want to explore this morning uh, with our panel is how are we as the Vox community invited to reimagine service in a season of transition and change? How are we invited to engage the needs that are surfacing around us? And so our cohort wanted to share what we've been reflecting on and processing and researching in our attempt to reimagine what service looks like for Vox. And so we have Kimberly, Lena, and Madison joining me this morning. They magically appeared. And so thanks for being willing to share about our experience. And maybe could each of you just introduce yourselves and share a bit about uh, what your daily life currently involves and how long you've been part of Vox.
1: Sure. Hi, everyone. everyone. I'm Kimberly. (laughs) and our family has been a part of the box for years. I co-lead a midweek group, and our family can't wait to resume our role as lunch hosts whenever we get to meet in person again. Outside of Box, I am one half of Kimberly & Coach, where we offer training and consultancy around leadership and team dynamics using tools like the Enneagram and Clifton Strengths. and I also serve on the core team for an organization called 5Q, which trains churches and individuals in the Ephesians 4 five-fold ministry model.
2: Thanks, Kimberly. And good morning, Vox. My name is Lena. My husband and I have been coming to Vox for about three years now. And at Vox, I'm on staff as our events coordinator. But apart from Vox, I also volunteer with the Ethnic Studies Network of Texas, where I've been collaboratively drafting the standards for a Native American Indian Studies course for Texas high schoolers. And then together, my husband and I are also fortunate enough to participate in weekly beauty language classes, thanks to the invitation of a dear friend of mine named Halle, who's been dedicated to uh, Indigenous language preservation for over a decade.
3: Awesome, Lena, well, you know, that's really cool. Um, hi everyone, I'm Madison Russell, I've been with Vox for about four years now, um, and I've been a midweek group coordinator for about the last nine months during the pandemic. Um, and during the week, I work for the United Way for Greater Austin. I'm the marketing community manager there. And other than that, I really just spend a lot of time with my two cats and my pandemic puppy.
0: Yeah, it's all about the pandemic pets, right? Um, thanks for being willing to do this with me today. And uh, I'm really excited to share what we've been learning together. And so let's start in verse 4. In verse 4, Jeremiah 29 Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce. And so those who had been taken captive and exiled in Babylon didn't have much with them. And so they had to start life from scratch and in some ways had to rely on whatever natural resources they could get their hands on. To build homes and plant their own food, and so as a cohort, uh, the first phase of our time together, uh, we were invited to reflect on our existing resources as a community. You know one of the images that the church lab invited us to reflect on was our pantry. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic and lockdown when everyone was making irrational runs on toilet paper and shelves were empty in the grocery stores, You know, many of us started going through what was left in our pantries and seeing how creative we could get with what we had. And so the question we were asked was, you know, what, what does Vox currently have in resources that were already sitting around? And so for each of you, um, you know, what did you observe about our community and the resources that we currently have in our, you know, metaphorical pantry?
3: Yeah, well, I think I I could jump in first here. Um, you know, I think we all know that Vox is made up of four key components, which is liturgy, formation, community, and partnerships. And a lot about reimagining service is, you know, is that tangible action side. Um, and so I think, you know, like Wasteland, um, part of what, you know, we did as a committee was to take inventory of our strengths, both tangible and intangible, to identify areas where reimagining service would be the most possible. Um, and for me, what, what really shaped my perspective um, of this whole process was that in July of last year, I was invited to sit on Box's partnership team. And so that kind of participatory lens is is really how I viewed this project. Um, as a pastor's kid, I attended a lot of churches over the years and I've participated in a really wide variety of of missions and I've seen like a lot of the good, the bad, and sometimes the ugly. Um, but I'm really I've been really humbled um to be participating in Vox in this way um, because the partnerships team really takes an intentional approach to serving the community. Um, it's really nice to be at a church uh where empowering and not othering is so ingrained in the fabric of who we are. You know, as a marketer, um, language really, really matters. And so I really appreciate the branding um, of our action arm of the church as partnerships rather than missions. You know, the purpose of this team is to empower our community to embody Vox's values of empathy and participation, to not show up as saviors, but to amplify the work that's already being done in our community. And so um, this team really, really welcomes our community in becoming the hands and feast of Christ. Um, While allowing empathy to guide our response to injustice and so really all of this work and my role as onboarding on the partnership team um, Helps me really appreciate the deep rich areas of resources that Vox currently has in that regard Um, If you're not if you're not aware the partnerships team is currently made up of seven members and it's led by Caroline Cody Um, We we maintain local partnerships here in Austin with Posada Esperanza, as well as globally in India with the Ashish Center. There's actually a covenant member meeting um, next Sunday, June 6, after liturgy, if you guys want to learn even more about the partnerships team um, and what they're doing. So we'd love to have you there. Um, And really just to finalize my thoughts, you know, as we begin to come back together after being apart for more than a year, I really sense that action rather than contemplation is gonna be at the forefront of our minds, you know. I've appreciated seeing how the partnerships team is uniquely set up to aid our community in taking action to meet the needs of our neighbors.
2: Thanks, Madison. I agree and think it was really great that we started by kind of looking at ourselves in this process and sort of assessing who we are. It was great learning more about what some of those internal structures are like from you and your experience on the partnership team. I really appreciated that. Um, For me, as I mentioned in my intro, I came onto staff as Vesper's event coordinator about two years ago. And for those of you who may not be familiar, Vesper is the name of our building where we relocated from about a block away and remodeled about two and a half years ago. Um, so because of my role there, one element that was really at the forefront for me was the really multi-purpose nature of our building. Um, I thought about the fact that even during the shutdown, we were able to hold space for Inside Books Project, which is our longstanding nonprofit partner that fills book orders for people who are incarcerated and which had continuing needs throughout the pandemic. Um, I also reflected a lot on the experiences that I had during my first year of event coordinating and the variety of events that we hosted most of which were generated by the greater Austin community. We hosted gallery openings, body positive fashion shows, staged readings, single parent market expos and nonprofit holiday parties where regular folks could celebrate stepping out and making something new to meet the community needs that they saw around them. And while each of those programs brought something that we couldn't have generated on our own, we were able to contribute a space that felt open and flexible enough to hold all of it. And as a Vox Vox participant, I have found this to be true of our spiritual community as well. We really like to be open and flexible enough to hold all of it and that makes me really excited about how much we're going to be able to hold space for in the future and especially in this new upcoming season.
1: Thanks, Lena. Honestly, I cannot wait to gather at Vesper again with you all. I'll just add that while this exercise lent itself to cataloging tangible resources like Vesper and the partnership team, the other thing that came up a lot was more about posture. We circled around Vox's heart for hospitality and love for creating space. Not only physical space, but relational and emotional space for curiosity, for recovery, for mystery and artistry. Our church does this in a lot of intentional ways, from using accessible language in our services to the art that welcomes people as they enter our space to our six Vox values. And it's also in the way that we do things. Participants are invited into experiences like our nonviolent language workshops and theology nights, but not required. Everyone is invited into our liturgy, the work of the people, and art and beauty are incorporated into our rhythms for service and community events. So we are swimming inside the ideas of openness and hospitality, and that is part of what shapes us as a community. Personally, our family has been a part of a lot of churches, and this sense of Vox's posture is a huge part of why we are here at Vox. We visited with a friend and sat in the back of Space 12. We were both physically exhausted after a medical trauma and church exhausted after some shenanigans, and we were not looking for a new church home. (laughs) But that morning Gideon came right over to us and introduced himself during the passing of the peace, and we didn't realize he was a pastor until he got up to give the homily. His posture towards us in that five-minute conversation made us just curious enough to sit in the back for a couple more years while we found our way back toward health. So as we consider what Vox has to offer our community, one sort of intangible resource is this sense of openness and safe space that invites people in wherever they are. Vox never claims to be perfect, which I love, but we work hard at hospitality.
0: Mm, thanks for capturing that, Kimberly. Even the intangible resources like our posture and how that can be accessed and, and even seen as a meaningful resource. And so, you know, for the rest of us, m- maybe a practice we can try this week uh, is to reflect on the resources that you currently have uh, in your own metaphorical pantry, you know, whether it's physical space uh, or a skill set or even a posture that you carry. And then also reflect on the resources that we collectively have as a community. You know, what what are the things that you've appreciated and valued about the Vox community? And the goal is just to form a clearer picture uh, of the resources we currently have in our individual and our communal pantries. And then we pick up in verse seven. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the lord on its behalf and so even though they're captives in this land god's inviting them to learn about the city they're in you know to be intentional and discover ways in which they can benefit those around them and so as a cohort the second phase uh, of our time together focused on, on learning about the needs that were surfacing in our neighborhood in our city as a result of the pandemic. And, and some of the needs, you know, they, they've they existed prior to the pandemic, but were made worse because of it and the social issues that also came to the forefront. And so as a group, we brainstormed and, and landed on some different needs that we noticed around us, whether it was creating sustained connections within Vox, supporting artists of color in Austin, uh, decolonizing spiritual formation, making mental health resources available, uh, developing a race-conscious approach to justice, or just being involved in mutual aid efforts. And so for each of you, um, what was the area that you researched and took a deeper look into as far as needs that were surfacing in and around the Vox community?
3: Yeah, what I really, really loved about this process, even though it was a little challenging for me, was that we were told to be really curious and not go in with a solutions-oriented mindset, which can be really hard when your brain wants to walk from point A to point B. But it helped us to get really deep and rich in our in our research. And so, as Wei said, you know, as we took inventory of our community needs, um, we really wanted to prioritize accessibility of deepening connections between community members and how they interact with us. And so the primary uh, focus of my research was around sustained connections. Um, But I really had to stop and ask myself, what even does that mean? Um, And I think throughout my own reflection and just reflection with the group, for us, we found out that that really means empathy and community. You know, At Vox, we not only want to invite people into our community, but we wanted to create an environment where they can make deep, lasting connections with one another and our Austin neighbors. So I started my research by asking myself and some of you guys on the Vox community through the Facebook forum, um, several questions. And those questions were, how did you come to Via Vox? Um, how are you interacting with us? And how can we reach more members? And it turns out, Vox has a lot of entry points. You know, from visiting with friends or family members to finding and reading Yelp reviews, the wider community is really coming to us from a lot of different places. Um, And I I believe that a big part of deepening connections is going to come from understanding how people are reaching us and what's important to them. Um, so other than serving in liturgy, formation and partnerships are two of the ways that our community interacts with one another. And you heard me talk a little bit about the partnerships team earlier. So let's talk about one of the main pathways to formation at Vox, um, which is midweek groups. You know, Vox's vision for midweek groups is that they form organically and that they're around four to eight people. Um, I know that's not the case for everyone. I personally love The richness and the deepness that comes from forming organically. Um, It's kind of different than other churches where you're kind of just assigned and the connection comes later. But um, I know that from feedback, whether it was in my own project or just beyond, that sometimes this makes midweek groups a little inaccessible. Um, I myself was a midweek group hopeful for about five months when I first joined. And then got connected with a great group of women, and now I've been a group coordinator for about nine months. But I know everyone's experience is different. So because of this project, because of this feedback, and because of that desire that we really feel for deeper connection after such a period of intense isolation, one of our main goals is to try and reset um, our access points to the community so that we can co- provide greater accessibility to connection at Vox. So be on the lookout for a survey link where you can give feedback and just figure out um, how we can better get involved with you guys and meet you where you are.
1: Awesome, thanks Madison. We were so lucky in our midweek group process because Sam Fagan invited us into their group before we even visited Box. But over the years we have seen the beauty of these groups forming mostly organically. And for that to happen, we each have to be intentional about inviting people in and taking the leap to form new groups so that everyone can be a part because it's so rich. Well, for my part, um, when we first started discussing this project, we were processing the racial trauma inflicted a year ago during the police murder of George Floyd. All these months later, we are still meeting virtually and our city and country still have a long way to go. So as we considered the needs of our community, We really wanted to bring a race-conscious approach into Vox's efforts around justice and care. As a church, we've responded when possible to create space for this conversation in a number of ways. Through our stated value for diverse voices, by facilitating conversations to process traumatic news, and addressing racialized events in our Sunday gatherings, rather than just moving on with a regularly scheduled program. And we've had the privilege of hosting events like the pre-pandemic front porch gathering where we discussed in depth and for some of us really understood for the first time the very real effects of gentrification in our neighborhood. But in some ways, these actions have tended to be reactive to trauma or simply to the opportunities that present themselves, which begs the question, are there ways that we can be more intentional and proactive when it comes to matters of race? Well, as a church that began, we began as a Chinese church and have over the years had varying levels of racial diversity and community involvement. We also exist in a historically Black neighborhood with a rich history, and part of that history involves racial and social injustice. And of course, racial tension is in play in the current realities of our neighborhood as well, including gentrification, policing, and politics. I think that being a good neighbor in this neighborhood may begin with integrating the story of East Austin and the story of Fox and growing in our communal understanding of our neighborhood, preferably through partnership with local organizations like Black Austin Tours or UT's Division of Diversity and Community Engagement. Being authentically in our own story and being a force for good in this neighborhood may require a more intentional strategy around how we as a community engage the conversation around race, justice, and community needs. In this process, we also research some options for educating ourselves around racial justice and racial reconciliation. Are there steps that we can take as a church to create space for listening and learning around racial trauma and strategic advocacy? And as we step more fully into this work, How can we care for the people of color in our community as we do? We know that these kinds of conversations can be especially heavy for people of color who are already navigating trauma, and we want to stay conscious of that as we choose our next steps. And just to name the elephant in the room, our church is around 65% white. So for those of us in that demographic, are there intentional ways that we as a community could step into a more intelligent allyship? So as we move forward in this space, we are asking the question, who will be our guides? A couple of organizations we've looked into are Be The Bridge, which offers a guided study for intentionally diverse groups, as well as material for, just for white allies or for people of color. And the Allender Center, which has just begun some work to facilitate healing around racial trauma. Now we're interested in seeing what resonates to you, our larger community, around how we engage the topic of race. We know that there is some inherent tension in this conversation, and it may even feel easier some days to back away from the discomfort of it. But it is vital and important work. So be on the lookout for opportunities to step into the conversation via some upcoming listening circles.
2: Thanks, Kimberly. Thanks for speaking about this really critical, but also challenging need. I'm uh, really looking forward to strategically engaging this Really multifaceted work alongside you. Um, My own research focused on mutual aid in Austin and admittedly I'm a person who thought I understood mutual aid well enough Uh, but my research showed me that my understanding was actually pretty limited. Before I thought about mutual aid primarily as an alternative to or a critique of traditional charity models that create a power imbalance where the givers get to leave feeling great about themselves and the recipients are expected to sort of just be grateful for whatever they're given without much agency to name their own needs. I think this distinction is real, but my research showed me that mutual aid also stands on its own independent of charity models and it's much richer and really aligns well with the biblical notion of being a good neighbor So in looking at a number of different mutual aid efforts that emerged during the pandemic, I found three common traits. One was decentralized authority and leadership. The second was mutuality, meaning that there is an expectation of give and take based on a person's season of abundance and need. The third was direct communication and a flexible responsiveness to changing needs. One example that a Primrose volunteer provided to explain what mutual aid is talked about a time during the big freeze when she had gathered supplies from her neighbors for a Primrose supply drive, but wasn't able to deliver it during the given time slot that Primrose had arranged because she had just had a baby. When she called to ask them if they could pick up, they not only said yes, they could come and pick it up from her, but they also asked if she had any needs for herself or for her baby. And she called this an exact definition of mutual aid. These traits really resonated with me as a way to practice honoring the image of God in every person. And at the same time, and I believe for the same reasons, also reminded me of the native values that have been part of my own decolonization practice. So for me personally, knowing how energizing it's been for me to name and recognize the ways that my own ancestors and friends have resisted colonization, even in their staunchly Christian faith, as well as the steps that my mother has taken to decolonize my Christian upbringing and the steps that I'm taking to further that process. It was a really great moment for me when another person in our group named Decolonizing Spiritual Formation as a community need. And then Austin Mutual Aid explicitly tied the two concepts together by naming the fact that while the term mutual aid was coined in the late 19th century, the title was just naming an act that everyone is familiar, that indigenous people and those working close to the land have been consistently practicing. So this alignment, first recognizing that when we talk about mutual aid, we're talking about not just an alternative way of behaving, but, alt- but an alternative way of seeing, conceptualizing, and moving through the world. And then secondly, knowing that those who have been consistently practicing and preserving this alternative way are still here to help guide us gives me a lot of enthusiasm to see the ways that this lens and posture could help bring a new type of energy to our community work, whether that's through affirmation and validation of existing practices that you may have, or through subtle ch- shifts that will just help the work flow more freely.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Lena, for sharing uh, just from your own personal experience and especially your cultural background and that interconnection of highlighting mutuality that we're invited uh, to consider. Uh, I remember one of our meetings that we had as a cohort, we got to spend time with uh, Mayor Pro Tem Natasha Harper-Madison, who represents District 1, where Vesper is located. And I mean, she's so inspiring. And she also was challenging us as a church community to be more aware of what's happening in our neighborhoods. You know, Does it actually make any difference if our church is in that neighborhood or not? Um, because our presence should lead to an awareness of and a tangible impact on the needs that surface in our neighborhood. And so you know, for the rest of us, maybe a practice we can try this week um, is simply to reflect on the needs that you've observed in your own neighborhood and community this past year? You know, what what have you noticed in the schools or the small businesses around you? And how has this pandemic created an awareness of needs that, you know, maybe you hadn't noticed before? And so let's close in verse seven. Uh, Verse seven says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare and so this invitation to look for the welfare of the city we live in uh, is in the context of mutuality you know our well-being and the well-being of our neighbor and city are interconnected and based in mutuality and that's the value and direction that we're invited to lean into more fully and as a cohort, our last phase of our time together was focused on finding the alignment between what our resources are in the pantry and what the rising needs that we've observed. And we were looking at where are the places where there's alignment and we can bring and we can begin to work towards mutuality. And so one last question for you all. Um, you know what are the glimpses of hope and invitation for the Vox community? that this cohort process has offered you.
1: way I really love that passage and it resonates so deeply when I reflect on our cohort over these past few months. Because for me, there are a couple of things that have brought me a lot of hope. And the first is that everything has just eddied around neighboring. How do we as individuals, as well as a community, be the kind of neighbors that point to the goodness of God? And the idea of Vox being a force for good in this neighborhood in such a way that our neighbors would be increasingly glad that we exist is a really energizing idea to me. And that makes all of this reimagining feel deeply important and even sacred. And the second thing is that through this process, I've learned so much about our community and what is already available. There are fantastic organizations and opportunities that we can come alongside to boost signal and even share our people and our resources without having to architect the solutions alone. And especially in this season, as we search for a new pastor and get ready to gather in person again, the idea that we won't have to reinvent the wheel feels like a real gift to me.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Kimberly. Um, I think that we're in a really special time. We're re-emerging after a year of shutdown and really significant trauma. Um, and even before the pandemic, many folks had already experienced burnout. And I think that now after a number of people are looking to retain some of the slow pace that the past year has brought us. But at the same time, other folks may be looking to dive into something experiential right away because we just lost a lot of experiences over the past year. We have such a mix of people at Vox and it's such a mix of needs in our community right now Uh, from folks who've been here since Vox's inception to the people who've only ever joined us online. I think there's plenty of room for both and all experiences. And as I mentioned earlier, I think Vox is good at holding space for all of it and shepherding people into a healthier day to day. Uh, And so being on staff and getting to be a part of that while realizing that we're not going to be putting all of that on each of you individually is really exciting for me. Um, And just makes me excited to do this good work alongside good people and in a good way that generates sustained energy for the entire community.
3: Yeah, Lena, I, I could not agree more and you know i think it's I think it's clear to our community just how we've barely scratched the surface of this project uh today this morning um and it's just it's brought me a lot of hope to be able to connect with everybody on this committee, including way and and the people that you don't even see here today um, It's really energizing to know that there's just so much that we can do but Uh, I think the thing that gives me the most hope is just that no matter if you attended Chinese Bible study many years ago, if you've, um, you know, if you've interacted with us by participating in a volunteer event, or even if you're an established midweek group leader, you know, Vox really wants to create a space for you. And we want that space to be accessible so that you and your family can participate and connect. And that's just really exciting to me.
0: Yeah, thank you all for sharing your reflections, I mean, I'm also excited and hopeful about the possibilities um, that God's inviting our community into this next season. Uh, Like you all mentioned, especially as we begin moving towards gathering together in person, hiring a new pastor to join our pastoral team, uh, and just learning how to become better neighbors. Um, And this cohort has really given us space to dream and reimagine what service might look like for Vox um, as we try to offer our resources from a place of groundedness and so we want to invite the rest of the community into this process as well you know if one of these needs or ideas that we talked about this morning resonates with you uh, we're going to put a survey link in the chat um, so that you can let us know if you want to engage more Um, and like Madison said we're going to have an opportunity uh, this coming Sunday at our covenant member meeting to explore more of this and as Kimberly mentioned, we're gonna hope to have some listening circles later this year uh, to explore what Box's invitation is in becoming a better neighbor. And so I really wanna thank you all, this panel, uh, Kimberly, Lena, and Madison, and as well as Christina and Lena Pesak, um, who were also part of this cohort, just for the time and energy that all of you have put into this process. I mean, every Sunday afternoon for the past uh, like three months, you know, we've spent together on Zoom because I, I know we all love more virtual meetings. And, you know, a shout out to our facilitator, uh, Janelle D'Alessandro, who walked us through this entire process as well. And so Vox, let me leave us uh, with this prayer as we reimagine what service might look like for us. God who sustains us in generous and timely ways, may we recognize the resources that already exist within us. Jesus, who empathizes with us and knows our hurt and pain, may we become more aware of the needs of those we encounter. And Spirit, who offers us discernment to reimagine service in a new way, may we seek the well-being of our city as a way to experience our own well-being. And so we ask all this in the love of God, our creator, the empathy of Christ and the mutuality of the spirit. Amen.